Welcome to the 12th episode of the Quilting Stories podcast. Stay tuned for our interview with quilter Beth Bastian. Welcome back to the Quilting Stories podcast. I'm joined on today's podcast by my co-host, Elaine Poplin, a quilter from Huntsville, Alabama. And you can find Elaine on Instagram at MessyGoat. And our guest today that we're happy to have is Beth Bastian, who is Garland Girl Quilts on Instagram. And Beth is a quilter who lives in California. And welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. Well, can you start out and and just tell us about your journey to quilting and how you got started? Sure. I don't think I have a traditional journey in the fact that I didn't have anybody in my family who quilted. I had uh, my husband had some distant cousins who quilted, but we weren't very close. So I think this happens to most people. Around the age of 30, I realized that I wasn't doing anything any longer for myself. I had employees, I had kids, I had a husband, I had a house, dogs, but nothing that was happening for me. And one night, my husband and I, we went to a Mexican restaurant and I had I had a couple margaritas. And as we were driving home, we passed a quilt store. And that night I said, I'm going to learn to quilt. And the next day I went on my lunch hour to the bank. I don't know why I just, I went to the bank. I took out $600. I went to the quilt store and I said, where do I buy a sewing machine? And when did you know they were a Janome dealer? Nice. (laughs) They literally said, how much money do you have? I said, $600 on me. And they sat me in front of machine and they said, this is what you want. And so it was the 6260 quilter's choice. So I literally just handed them my money and took the machine. And then I walked to the second part of the shop and I said, I want to be a quilter. What do I need to do? And they're like, sign up for this shop, this class. So I signed up. They gave me this huge list of stuff. I had no idea what it was that I had to buy. They helped me. They sold it all to me. So they were very generous. And that was pretty much how I started. Now, the fun thing is I went to my first class and it was a small class. There's five of us. And I was the only female. It was all guys. Oh, wow. I became pretty good friends with one of them. After the class was said and done, he looked at me. He said, we're going to be best friends for life. And we have been. And his favorite thing to do is sign me up for quilting classes or (laughs) obligate me to something quilting. And that was pretty much how it started. He called me about a week later and said, oh, by the way, you're taking a mystery class. Uh, a couple of years later, he signed. He said, we're going to a quilt guild. And he signed me up to be on the board before we even joined the quilt guild. Yeah. But <laughs> and you still talk like to him? I, st- I talk to him all the time. <laughs> I love it. People thought we were married for the longest time. We're not. <laughs> but, um, that was really how it started. And quite frankly, I was pretty horrible at it for a very long time. But I just loved it. So I just kept doing it. And my seams would fall apart. And I would do it again. And Yeah, it was a great experience. So now I'm about 20 years in, 15, 18, 19, 20 years in. I don't know, but I love it. It's a major part of my life, major part of my well-being, actually. I think uh, it was the best thing he ever did for me. That is awesome. Yeah, that's um, better than therapy for me. Yeah, definitely. And what is it that appeals to you? Have you ever thought about it? It, it? It's interesting to me. I'm always curious. You have these people in the industry who say, we've got to figure out ways to get people into quilting. And in my experience over the years, it's really indefinable. Like some people take to it 
And like, I'll just use myself, for example, like when I took my first class, by the end of the class, I had already gone home and made a second quilt on my own time, like a, a quick, like a split rail fence. And I never looked back. But then there are other people who are like, yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it. I'm curious if you've thought about what is it that like really grabs you and appeals to you? The first couple of years, I really, it was almost out of defiance. I really wanted something that I was in charge of. I was doing that. I wasn't doing it for the kids or I wasn't doing it for my employees. It was something it was like my time, but I really wasn't good at it. My quilts notoriously would fall apart the first time you'd wash them. My color palettes were what other people told me to do. But for some strange reason, there was just something when I was sitting in front of that sewing machine, I just felt like that was Zen to me. It just really made me happy. So I just kept coming back. Once I had some encouraging words from a few quilters that were, you need to learn to sew a quarter inch seam. And it, it was pretty harsh to hear, but it was important. I spent a lot of time learning to master that. And then once I realized I could, my skills were getting better, I could start to find a voice. I, I just took to it. The few times I've taken off from doing it where I haven't done it for a few months, I've felt myself just being a little at loss. So when I actually am to the point where if I'm not constantly working on something, and it doesn't have to be major, it could just be pulling fabric. But if I'm not just doing something, I do feel a little bit like a little bit lost. So I think it really is my mental well-being. Like I know I said that, but yeah. Yeah. My husband tells me to go into my sewing room and pet some fabric and his comment is usually you're getting mean. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Yep. You're not wrong. Yeah. Oh gosh, I was going to say something, but I lost it. Never mind. It'll come later. How would you describe, and it's always difficult when we're talking about an audio podcast versus something video. How would you describe the quilts that you currently make or that you enjoy making? I really, truly think I call it, we call it new traditional around here. And what that means is I love the traditional blocks. Give me a half square triangle. I'm just the happiest girl. But I love to use them in weird colors, bold colors. I love to try new things out with the traditional stuff. Definitely not modern. Uh, I know I get accused of that sometimes just because of my color choices or because of the layout. But I love the old traditional blocks. I just like to do them in a different way, mainly with color choices, but sometimes I'll change a layout just a smidge just to show that I can, but that's really where I'm at. I I feel like most of my quilts tend to be the colors I like at the moment. And so I do a lot of pattern testing. That's one of the things I probably do five or six times a year. And it's always interesting with pattern testing, how everybody has such a different eye or such a different view. But for me, it's always about the color. Everything is about the color to me. And right now, or for several years, I used to look at lime green as my neutral. Yes. It is, right? <laughs> oh, yes. yes. It's my neutral. This year, I'm, I'm using, for black of a better term, a Barney purple oh, as yeah. my everything. And the rationale behind that was I accidentally bought 12 yards of it. And so now I'm challenging myself to use it. Uh, I don't want it just sitting in my cupboard. So this will be the year of Barney Purple. And yeah, so that's really me. I do stick to a little bit of a color and then I'll suddenly change it up because I bought 12 yards and then we move on to the next color. But I will always look at lime green as my my jumping off spot. Yes, I actually, for our comfy quilts for our guild, 
they gave me a stack of brown fabric one time and I'm not a fan. No. And so I did the almighty half square triangle. I'm like you. I love the old school. I was trained that way. So I love older blocks and traditional piecing. And so I did half square triangles and I had one lime green block in the sea of brown. <laughs> and I handed it in and I stood at the front and I said, I tried. I couldn't do it. <laughs> we had a challenge at our guild. Oh, no, this one's mine. Yeah, I love that. We had a challenge at our guild where you had to pull two Crayolas out of a paper bag. And that was the what your colors were for your quilt. And I had a oh, wow. darkest brown and a teal blue, which was good. Yeah. yeah, I learned really quickly that brown was a lot harder for me than any other color. Give me any pop of anything. Give me orange. Give me fuchsia. Anything that's a uh, brown. Wow, that's a hard one. That's like a void of color to me. Yeah, I personally uh, don't. I'm sitting in my sewing room as we're speaking, and I do have some solid brown, but it's not something that I gravitate towards at all in terms of a color. In, term, in terms of color, I'm curious, when you started, you said you were using color palettes that other people were telling you. How did you land on on the colors that, that you're talking about, the lime green? Was that a process for you that you were aware of? Yeah, I think it really was. So when I first walked into that quilt shop, you know, I think it was like the mid-naughties, 05, I want to say. And it was what you expect back then. It was all repos. It was all Civil War. A lot of flowers, holy moly, a lot of flowers and a lot of blue and white mm -hmm. fabric. Mm -hmm. And so I started with the blue and white fabric. They did have a section of kids fabric, which was colorful. And on that mystery quilt that I was signed up to do, I chose black and just all these kids colors. And the teacher actually asked if I wanted to go buy different fabric because it just would never work. <laughs> And no, I didn't want to go buy different fabric. So I put it together and I realized I liked it, but I kept having these voices uh, being told to me and it wasn't even in my head. It was the people at the shop or my teachers are like, really? You don't want to go there. <laughs> and so I guess I was real slow to uh, take on the new colors, but I don't know. I went on a trip. I ended up seeing this lime green new, and it was like a tonal. It wasn't anything like spectacular. And I bought a couple of yards of it. And every time I put it in a quilt, it just made me happy. And then I realized I'm here to quilt to make me happy. It's, you know, nice for the people who receives the quilts to love them too. But I'm the one who has to look at it for so many hours that this lime green, I just kept coming back to. And to this day, I, I actually just ordered more yards of it because really lime green and garden purple totally go together. <laughs> so yeah. what's the... It hey, is... they're supposed to... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, do you know the actual, is it a solid or is it a print? Do you know the actual one? I was just curious, the lime green. I think this one was, it's a tonal. So it's not necessarily a solid, right. but it, it, it's not necessarily a print. Yeah, probably fossil fern based on the time. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably was attracted to the exact same fabric because I have one quilt. It took me 14 years to finish. And uh, I call it the green albatross because so, it took 14 years because I got tired of it. But did you know in the 90s, in the early 90s, the fabric was all, the greens were all hunter green. 
because we're coming out of the 80s and the hunter yeah. green and mauve and jewel tone stage. And then in the early noughties, as you called it, I love that, by the way, it became lime green, spring green and trying to get them to work together because I had bought a bunch of fabric, but not enough to finish a quilt. I bought a bunch of the hunter green and then 14 years later, spring green and forcing them to get along was hard. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I had, I swear, I think we must have had the same people in the guild because I would take classes and they'd say, oh, you could use those colors. And then I'm defiant. Yeah, yeah, I can. (laughs) See, they were nicer to you. They might were like, no, you should buy new fabric. Or I am in the South. Yeah, they they had opinions. (laughs) And I'll tell you, they're really nice ladies. I'm told I'm not being harsh on them, but they're very prolific and they're very into their style. And I'd get in front of my guild and I'd hold up my quilt and be like, look what I made. And I would literally felt like I'd get pat on the head. Oh, that's Do you feel like an exotic bird? A little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like a pet. They trot me out and go, look at what our weirdo is doing. Yes. And then (laughs) I found Instagram and it was like my people. So I still am a huge member of my guild for sure. But Instagram has actually made me open my eyes a little bit. And really, I only started Instagram because I was having problems with Flickr and I just wanted a place to keep my pictures. And then all of a sudden people were not, they weren't saying, oh dear, look at those colors. They were actually saying, hey, look at those colors. And that was really refreshing. So if someone listening isn't familiar with how pattern testing works, can you tell us a little bit about how that works? It can go one of two ways. Either a pattern designer reaches out and says, hey, can you test for me? Or they have a call. Anybody who would like to test, please reach out. It's gone both ways with me. I do a couple things. I either will just read their pattern to see if they have any mathematical errors, glaring errors, things of that nature. Or I actually make the quilts for them. And traditionally, I like to make the quilts. I do a little bit better that way. They give you the pattern. You start to make, I usually start with one block just to see if it works. Go back and forth with the group if it works, if it doesn't, and make changes um, as need to. And then you also help them promote their pattern. So once you do have your quilt done, you just do some things on Instagram. They may use your photos for some of their other, their blogs, Pinterest, that type of thing. But the main thing is just making sure that what they say is accurate. You have enough fabric. The, you have enough squares to do what you need to do. You'd be surprised. Almost every pattern you test, there's something a little off about it. I'll tell you the hardest thing about pattern testing is you'll test what they re- wrote down and you're like, really, there's a much easier way to do this. <laughs> Absolutely. But you have to do what they want because they're the designers. But I do enjoy doing it. It's fun, especially on the new designers to help them and support them. A lot yeah, I've had pattern testers on mine and it's always, it's so helpful to get feedback, particularly from people I don't know. Yes. Because they don't know what I meant. Yeah. Necessarily. And so it's, I've had a few that have been amazing. So, yeah, the big thing is you read them. I've and, and things with pattern um, testing is sometimes like I just tested one for the Whaling City Quilt Company, and it, oh my god, is the greatest pattern. It was so good. She did such a great job. And then I tested another one right before it. And I'm not going to say the name where I was like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> well, really? <laughs> this is awful. And, and I, again, I applaud them. It's so hard to make a really good pattern for people and to come up with something that someone would like to use. 
and put yourself out there. Yeah, it uh, is hard. It, I it, never realized how much of my quilting process is nonverbal pointing and grunting. Right. <laughs> and, to, and to put that in into words that make sense. The fact that I am a high school teacher made it better because I'm accustomed to making handouts. But typically, you're... It's hard. You have to assume people know nothing when you're writing a pattern. Yes. And that's really hard because it's hard to take your brain back to that place. Yeah. So I love it for you on behalf of pattern writers everywhere. Thank you. (laughs) I, I love it. I actually, though, I'm pretty close to telling pattern makers, giving them like a top tens, just do it this way. And I'm not saying do how to create the block. That's on you. You're the pattern designer. But tips, for example, why do so many pattern designers forget to tell you how much binding you need? Binding is important. Come on, guys. Or um, they forget that a lot of people who print their patterns only have black and white printers. Right. 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 Yeah. So things of that nature, I feel like there should be maybe a top 10 tips to give to the pattern makers of things they should think about. I'm pretty close to putting one of those together because I I do see the same errors across the board. And I shouldn't call them errors. They're just ways to improve. Yeah. So if you could send that to me, that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There's your next blog post. I'm curious. uh, It seems to me from following you on Instagram that you're fairly prolific in terms of the number of quilts that you make. What do you do with all of your quilts? The majority of them get donated. Wow. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're not a hoarder? <laughs> I'm I feel like I am, but I do. I make about 20 to 25 quilts a year. I probably own about 25 quilts and I feel like that's, I don't have a place to store them. Yeah, they sure. sit in a pile under my long arm, Yeah. Um, which probably isn't the best place, but one day I'll find somewhere to store them maybe. And that actually brings us to, I was going to ask you, do you do your own quilting? I do. So the friend who signed me up for everything gave me his long arm. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. He is a so friend. He really is. A give give him my number and my email. He gave me his HQ 16. Oh, yay. And I sacrificed my dining room because really the kids are grown. I don't need it. And now I have a room for my HQ-16. I wouldn't say I'm good at it. Again, I'm really good at swirls. I I need to take some classes to learn the rest. But I do quilt all my own stuff. I always have, too, even when I was shoving them through my Janome's. Is it a sit-down? Do you have this? Okay, so you've got it on a frame. I have it on big frame. Yeah, I started with an HQ-16 sit-down. And the best advice I can give you is... And but this won't apply for a for a long arm, but if you slow down the speed enough that you can just go without having to start and stop, it makes a huge difference in your confidence and how quickly you will learn. Yeah, I was trying to tell self teach taught myself, I guess you'd say, everything through YouTube and I didn't it was a little confusing. So I right before this I was just looking at classes to take online just to get me through some of the basics. But I do love it. I love, I like the process a lot. I would like to learn to do a little bit more than I'm doing. I don't foresee myself ever being a show quilter or anything of that nature. So I'm not looking to be able to make designs or words into the quilts, but just a little better consistency would be good. But yeah, I, I love it. It's super loud. 
Yes. It's it's so loud, but it goes so quick. I can literally knock out a quilt top in 90 minutes or so. Yes. Yeah. And it looked good. I loved that. I loved that little machine. The only reason I don't still have it is because I didn't have room for both. Yeah, I could see that. And and you're doing all free motion? Yeah, because that's really all I could do right now. I I plan on learning how to use the, the stencils. Right, right. I, I do plan on learning it. It was a goal for last year, but that happened. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Right now, the swirls work. Yeah, they work. That's yeah. my go-to. That is my absolute go-to. If I can't decide how to do a quilt, or if the if the design is so busy, the quilting is not going to show up anyway. I do swirls. Yeah, they work good. Yeah, they're great. So, what do you decide to work on next? Or do you have, what's your works in progress situation? Or do you finish everything that you start? I have one UFO. And the only reason it's a UFO is I haven't found a backing yet for it. We, I haven't been able to get out too much to do any shopping this year, just because in California, we were on lockdown for so long. So I only have one of those. And then right now I'm working on a Lyric wall hanging. It's not going to be a quilt. It's actually going to be hanging on the wall to protect my husband's guitars from the sun. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm working on that today. Hopefully I'll get most of it done today because I'm ready to find my next project. And and how do you decide on your next projects? Instagram dictates my life. Sometimes I feel (laughs) if I'm not testing a pattern and if there's not a quilt along, cause I'm a sucker for a good quilt along. You and me both. Oh golly. They're so much fun. I, I see patterns, new patterns come out like every Friday. It feels so whatever's caught my eye recently. I like to do some of the newer stuff. It, It feels a little bit more relevant to what's going on. I did buy two patterns this week, so I'm sure one of them will get used next. But I need to finish these letters first. And I'll tell you, anybody who hasn't done these letters, try it. It's a hoot. Making a lowercase e might drive you a little bit crazy, but I'm just enjoying the whole process of doing these letters things. I could see this in my future too. So what are, I know that we discussed that you and I via direct messages on Instagram. So what did you end up uh, doing in terms of making letters? So I'm doing the book that you recommended. I don't recall what it is off the top of my head. And it's basically a free form. It gives you tips on how to do it free form. And oh yeah, the E's are hard. Yeah, the E's are hard. The lowercase ones. I'm pretty. I'm, I might make all the E's capitals. Yeah. So I decided just to go with the free form because I had the provital, provital, provital pattern, which is all paper piecing, and it was very too much like blocks to me. They didn't right. look. They didn't look enough like letters. And since it's like a a lyric from a song. You want it not to be so blocky. Maybe if it was a Devo song, it could be blocky, but not True. for, <laughs> you know, not for uh, what I was working on. So, but I'm hoping to get most of it done today. I hope. That's great. Well, I noticed on your blog, sorry, Lane, were you going to ask something? I wasn't no, here no, for I'm good. Okay. I did notice on your blog that you wrote a post about a sewing machine laser. And I'm curious for myself and also for the listeners, are you still using that? I do use it from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I'm always looking for ways to not use the pencil and for half square triangles, because that just drives me crazy. And I know that Elaine doesn't use a pencil and she can talk about her half square triangle process, but I think I may give the, the, the laser a try. I've seen it on the baby lock that comes built in. I saw it at a show and I was in love with it, but I think I might try the one that you were 
um, mentioning that you can attach to your machine. It's great. It's really good. Uh, you need to make sure your machine's serviced because if there's a wobble in your machine, Got it. there's a wobble on the line. But I was using it for half square triangles a little bit. And then I'd also use it for straight line quilting when I just wanted to do the straight lines. And right. it's just such a time saver and it's worth it. It's not terribly pricey. I think it's around $30, $40 maybe. And you put it on your HQ as well? Or just no. on your just on my, um, just on my Janome right now. Okay. Yeah. So. But I recommend it. it. It charges and then you just throw it on there and it, it goes really quick. I think I saw that on Mr. Domestic once. Yeah. It's interesting. I'll have to give it a try because I, I use a new Juki that I bought last summer and it does wobble a little bit because it's one of those machines that if you really floor the the foot pedal it shakes because it's so fast but i'm definitely going to give it a try because i like i said like i get so tired of using my ruler and, and a pencil to do great precise half square triangles i still yeah. can't believe you do that i'm not precise when i do that so t- tell us what you do elaine for your half square triangles um, if you can so explain you're it. starting with a two and a half inch you want a two inch finished triangle I'm lazy. I call myself a lazy perfectionist. I want to do as little work as possible for the best result. Don't we all? But I will cut the half half square triangles before I sew them together. I cut them into triangles and then I nip off the dog ears before I start using the ruler. And you don't have to have a special ruler for it because you can turn a rule and the standard ruler sideways so that you're getting a two inch finished width, I think, or two and a half inch finished width and, or not finished, but starting width. And so I nip off the dog ears and line it up. And, but you have to have a dead on accurate quarter inch seam. And I have worked very hard to get that. But then when I press them, I don't have to trim anything ever. And I'm done. And I didn't have to spend time drawing because when I draw, I miss the corners. I don't know why. I even use sandpaper to stabilize the fabric and I still miss the corners. How do you know, or how do you do the math to figure out how big to make the triangles? If you want a two inch finished triangle, you cut a two and a half inch strip. That's it. Interesting. But but for bigger ones, because I think she does bigger half square triangles. Oh, okay. A four inch finished, four and a half inch strip. Truly, just your add your quarter inch. Wow. Yeah, it's awesome. I think I'm going to give it a try. I'm a connoisseur of trying every method of a half square triangle. <laughs> yeah, and I have a little. What I've done. I have an image I can send you that I actually sent to Jeff way back when he asked me how I did it because I just did a. My COVID activity was to make thousands of half square triangles, and I did easily two or three thousand of them. And I would cut them sixty-four at a time, and then sew them together. Wow. So, yeah. A little insane. Yeah. That's a lane for you. Halfway. Yeah. I don't do anything halfway. So no, no, apparently not. So what kind of inspires you creatively besides the colors and the fabrics? I don't, I wish I can answer that and be a hundred percent on it. It <laughs> seems to change often. I'm my second love of is music. So sometimes, not sometimes, often it's the way music or whatever I'm into at that moment, music wise makes me feel sometimes that that will dictate a lot. So for example, if I am listening to some old punk, 
or something of that nature, I tend to pull things that are a little bit more edgy and hard. If I'm listening to something more friendly and upbeat, I tend to pull more lighter things. So I think that tends to lead a little bit to my inspiration. But honestly, I think with the number one thing, and I said this over and over, this Instagram, you see what's out there and you start seeing what other people are doing. You're like, hey, that's really cool. But what if I did it this way? And I think that also could be one of my biggest um, inspirations outside of the music. That's great. So what are you listening to lately? Last night, it was Adamant, <laughs> a little bit of Devo. That was why I was on my head in my mind. Yeah. Band from Europe called Blood Red Shoes. They're rock, like hard rock. They're no, they're modern. A little bit this morning. I'm, I'm on an old school's kick apparently. So the cramps were in there. That's great. You can't go wrong with either end of the cramps with Bowie. Yeah. But, so I may have missed it earlier. You said you're making the lyrics quilt that's going to protect your husband's guitars from the sun. What lyrics are you using? So there is a band from the Naughties called The Darkness. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I've heard of them. Yeah, they are. They're a rock band. That's all you could just say. They're almost like... <laughs> The guy's voice is a little bit like Freddie Mercury and the fact that holy moly, he can belt it out. <laughs> they, have, they have a song called, I believe in a thing called love. And one of the lyrics is we'll be rocking till the sun goes down. So the guitar oh, cover is yeah. going to say, we'll be rocking till the sun goes down. Oh, that's I recommend great. Jeff, I've seen the music you, you post on Instagram. You should check them out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm always dark. open to <laughs> there's something you're going to be a little like, Whoa, where'd they come from? Yeah. I don't think they're together (laughs) these days. I think they rocked a little too hard. Unfortunately that happens. Yes. But they were a joy when they were around. So I noticed that you wrote a blog post about the four rulers. Every quilter should own. Do you remember those four? Can you tell us about those? I think that sincerely all the ones you just would get at Joanne's or your Hobby Lobby. We don't really have Hobby Lobby out here. But you have to have your six and a half inch square, your 12 inch square, your six and a half by, I think it was 12 inch, and then your six and a half, your big one by 24. I recommend, you don't, I own way too many rulers. I don't know. It's embarrassing. <laughs> and so many are still in the wrappers. Just don't do that. Don't waste your money on important stuff like fabric and patterns. Yeah, those are definitely the four I recommend. And also for folks who are vision impaired like myself, go with the brighter, the brightest rulers you could find. It, it really does help uh, against the fabric. There's a, I think Omni has two different colors mm-hmm. and you want the, the brighter green than the light. Of course. Why not the lime green? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it really helps. It does. So that's definitely something I recommend. But again, don't go crazy on the ruler front. You don't need all the rulers. True, true. I only say that out of because I did that. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. So do you have a favorite quilt that you've made of all the quilts Mm -hmm. that you've made? So I do. And it's a little off brand. I made a lady in the lake. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that pattern. But it ended up being something um, along the lines of 2,200 half square triangles. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, Google Lady in the Lake or look up or Jeff, look up mine on Instagram. The reason it's a little off brand is because it was it's two colors. It's just blue and white. Again, not my normal colors. But I think the reason I'm the most proud of it was one morning I was going through Pinterest. This is pre-Instagram days. 
And I saw a black and white, I think it was black and white. I saw this quilt and it was a vintage one from like the 1800s. And I was like, I'm going, I'm going to make this quilt, which we all say, I know, but there was no pattern for it, but it's Lady in the Lake, which is a very traditional old block. It's actually one of the few blocks that only has one name. So it was the first, my first foray in actually figuring out the size because it's two different sizes of half square triangles and making it work. And it took me quite some time. It took me quite some time, but I, I have, my father's not one of those men who give out compliments and I showed it to him and he literally said, you could stop quilting now. Wow. Oh, it's going nice. to get better than that. So sweet. Yeah. I had a dad like that. So. Backhanded compliments all the time. But something like that was uh, memorable. So I think I know I know if my house were to catch on fire and the kids were out, that would be the one of the few things I would grab. Uh, sure. Yeah, that's a, I hope that doesn't happen to you. That's the worst nightmare I've ever. I had. live in a fire zone. I know. I, I heard that your house. You had a house fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I could talk for hours. Let's not go there. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Southern California, but I'm also technically in a fire zone. And I wasn't when we bought the house. It's just uh-huh. things have changed. So it's always on your mind when you live here. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so you, you talked before about the classes that you took early on with your friend who kept signing you up. <laughs> obviously, obviously, the pandemic has impacted classes, but are you still taking classes? No, I haven't taken them in a few years. I would like to. I was actually listening to your guys' podcast and heard that people were starting to do them via Zoom. And so I think that's a great idea. I definitely want to get involved with that. I took uh, one yesterday via Zoom. What did you learn? <laughs> it was it was by Cheryl Arkison, who is in Canada. And oh, yeah. she did one on crumb blocks. So oh. basically using some of the smallest, smallest scraps that you that people have to then improv and make into a bigger block. And then I've actually already signed up. She's doing one. I'll send you a link. She's doing one on snowballs in I think two weeks or three weeks. And I signed up for that. And and I thought she did really well because I've taken several. And my only complaint is my attention span for Zoom classes is somewhat short. So she kept it to about 90 minutes, which I thought was a perfect yeah. length as opposed to one that kind of sprawls over the entire afternoon, which is not a problem if I totally understand if people want to jump in there. But I think being on Zoom with, with work, I don't, I just don't, I'm not don't want to spend my weekend, but yeah, it was great. I I really, and like I said, I think I'm one of the earlier podcasts. I think that I hope that when the pandemic recedes, which it looks like we're headed that way with the vaccinations, that some of the teachers continue to do some remote classes, because I think, I think it gives people opportunities if they can't make it to a big show. And I think that from the perspective of a teacher themselves, if they don't want to, you know, spend every single week on an airplane, flying to a guild that anyway, I hope that they keep doing it. I would definitely recommend zoom classes. Yeah. I want to take them. I think I, I, what I really would like to start learning is uh, portrait and art. I did one portrait. I did one portrait. Oh my God. It was the funniest story. So of course I did a por- portrait of Ziggy Stardust. Cause who else would you do? <laughs> and I'm at the, I'm at my class and I'm doing this. Right. And one of the quilt ladies walks up to me, one of my mem- quilt guild members and says, well, who's that? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's Ziggy Stardust. He, he's a musician. And she's like, oh, that's nice. And then another one walks up to me and she goes, 
oh, look, I was at this concert. I don't remember a damn thing about that concert, but boy, it was awesome. <laughs> And then she walked off. So it just kind of shows that, you know, it's how diverse the skill is. But so I enjoyed that. I would like to get, it, it was very high level. I would love to learn to do more of that and the shading and this and that. So I, would, right. I was looking for classes for those too. That's great. Are there quilters that have inspired you along the way? Yeah. A couple in my guild where they wouldn't allow me to be sloppy anymore. So that was good. I don't know if you've heard of Sam Hunter. Yep. She was in my mini group for a short period of time. And the advice she gave me on quilting was monumental. Basically, you need to master the basics before you can move on. Know the rules to break the rules. Know the rules to break the rules. And I think she was the first one ever said it in that way where I got it. And I took the time to really learn the rules. So she definitely was probably one of my bigger um, inspirations. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. She's a smart woman. She has a book called Quilt Talk. That has paper pieced letters that I've really liked. They're not going to be as free form as what you're wanting for the project. Yeah. I could have sworn she had that. I went to her website and I couldn't find it on her website. And then the other thing is, I think I bought it. I have a really bad habit of, I buy it. I like patterns. I feel, I don't know if you know this about her, but when she first started out, she did not a GoFundMe, but she did one of those where you um, can support them and, and get some of their product at some point. So Kickstarter, um, Kickstarter. that's what she did. And yeah, I bought everything she had at that point made. And I, I feel like that was part of it. Yeah. I can't remember the, the, I think it's called quilt talk. I can't remember the exact name, but yeah, she definitely has a, a book on letters, which Elaine mentioned, which I would definitely Amazon recommend. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I know this is not my only foray into these letters. So I'm definitely going to be cap uh, looking for more ways to do that. I have a lot of lyrics I would love to throw out there. I'll tell you, I went to, I went to QuillCon the last time I was here in Pasadena. And it was right like at the very beginning of the Me Too movement. We have a lot of voice in quilting. And there was this big quilt that says, you don't, uh, it was a Beastie Boys lyric, basically. And you don't stop. What was it? Yeah. And you don't stop. And I walk up to the quilt and people are looking at this museum piece and I belt out the lyric. You can't, you don't, you won't stop. And these people looked at me like I was crazy. And finally I had explained to them, this is a Beastie Boys quilt. <laughs> and ever since then, yeah, I just been dying to do these quilts. So I'm super excited to finally find the time to get into them. Yeah, I've, I've got a lot more of those in, in, in uh, my mind and plans to do them. So I love we'll your doing one. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet, but that's up. Now, I've, I need to redo the capital G and glow mm -hmm. because people are getting confused with it. I need to do that, but it's it's on my list. I, I, I tend to jump around between projects. I don't well, it's been in timeout, Jeff, because you, had, you got to a part where you got mad at it. Exactly. I put mine in timeout. I get that. So we meant, exactly. I put a lot in timeout. So <laughs> I'm we, mad at you. I don't want to do that. I know. I know. <laughs> so we mentioned your long arm. What, what's your domestic? Are you still using your Janome? I have a different Janome, a 6600. I'm in the market for a new, a new machine. My goal last year was to attend two quilt shows and test drive them all. I got to one quilt show, got so overwhelmed. Yep. And then everything shut down. Yeah. So my 6,600 and I don't always see eye to eye. I think I use it too much. I just don't know that it was meant for the amount of use it gets for me. <laughs> like the feed dogs have had to be replaced. I've only had it like five years. It's just not 
a bad, I know a lot of people who have this machine and are really great with it. So it could just be me. Did you wear them smooth? The feed dogs? I had, I have replaced the feed dogs. I replaced a lot of things. I've even reached out to Jeff because Jeff used to have this machine. I was like, do you have this problem? (laughs) <laughs> and I, I have to, I have to confess. Once I moved over to the Juki, I was like, "Why did not? Why did I spend so long on the sixty six hundred? And I'm not bashing the the Genomi, mm-hmm. but I wonder too what you're saying about the amount of use because I sew a lot. And mm-hmm. once I started using the Juki, I was like, "Oh my god!" Wasn't even aware of how much I was having to fight the machine as yeah. I was sewing. Yeah. So to if you speed dogs on a Viking, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I had to replace speed dogs on a Viking twice because I wore them smooth and I didn't realize that was a problem. I was free motion piecing for over a year, Oh no! which is why my quarter inch seam is so accurate because I had to figure out how to get it accurate without feed dogs. That's interesting because it never even occurred to me. And my 6,600 is sitting here and I should probably uh, investigate that in terms of the feed dogs, because I felt like, especially with my 365 quilt with the small pieces, I felt like I was having to basically force a lot of the pieces through the machine. And it's probably exactly what you just said. I need to look into that. I never even thought about it. I had a nasty habit because of that experience of pulling the fabric from the back. And I've had to break that fat, that habit. But the reason I did it is I didn't have any feed dogs bringing the fabric through on their own. I was doing that too. So it's very likely. Mm-hmm. But Beth, if you if you are, I don't know what you do in terms of decorative stitches, but I would absolutely recommend at the next show, once things open back up, to give the Juki 2010Q try. It's strictly a straight stitch machine. It's all mechanical, no computer parts, but I love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Juki's definitely on my list to see. I, I really enjoyed my time with Janome. The first Janome machine I had still works really well. Mm-hmm. Just this one seems to not be keeping up. But Juki's where I was going to go look next. Yeah, They just look like they have really great options, good lighting, all that stuff that you need. Yeah. My issue with my Janome was when I was trying to do quilting on the domestic, it was just, and it probably was the feed dogs and I didn't even realize it. It just, it was a mess trying to quilt on that. It just would not pull through the machine in an even way. And yeah. Was that free motion quilting or was that straight quilting? I was trying to do straight quilting. Yeah, mine never. But I I was trying to use that with the Janomes. They have that weird thing that you can, I don't even know what you call it, where it comes down from behind. Mm -hmm. The built-in feed dog, yeah, or the yeah, built, the, yeah, walking the, foot. Yeah, the built-in walking, walking foot, foot that will p- grab, that will grasp the material and pull it through for quilting, and it just didn't work. So anyway, I would definitely recommend that. So well, where can people yeah, find you underneath and see Go if ahead. your feed dogs are are if they are scratchy, if they're smooth? That's the problem. Yeah, I I think that probably is given the amount of amount that I've used it. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Where can people find you online to learn more about you and your quilts? The best place is Instagram. I tend to post there quite religiously. So I'm Garland Girl Quilts. That's my handle there. I, as you said, I have a blog. I'm terrible at keeping it up. My sister built it for me. I probably am years, a year or so behind um, on keeping that up. But Instagram, I do post several times a week. So that's the best place to find me. And I love it when people reach out. Like Jeff, you and I have had... Tons of conversations over Instagram, just 
questioning each other's techniques and whatnot. I feel free to reach out. And if anybody has any testing, they need done. I'm around. I love that stuff. Careful what you wish for. I know. There you go. Again, we've been speaking with quilter Beth Bastion. You can find her online at garlandgirlquilts.com and on Instagram, as she just said, at garlandgirlquilts. And Beth, thanks for doing this interview. Oh, thank you for having me.